Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Hello, everybody. Rick Thomas here. Thank you so much for joining me for Life Over Coffee. I had a friend come to me and he wanted to, he asked me a question and it was really how to encourage someone who is going through a, just a terrible time. And the individual that he is helping is angry at God for what happened to them. To put it bluntly, I mean, the lady is mad because sovereign God did not protect her from this horrific victimization. And that's the rawest way that I can communicate it to you. And so my biblical counseling friend has been meeting with her for for weeks. And here's the question that he asked me, and this is what I want to wrestle through with you for a few moments. He said that would it be appropriate to give this angry lady similar counsel to what the Lord gave Job in chapter 38? A, a couple, here's a, here's a snippet of that counsel. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it, end quote. Now, the Lord went on with 70 questions over a period of four chapters, but that gives you a nice instructive soundbite to what my friend was asking to provide for this lady who is angry at God because of the victimization that came into her life. Now, his question to me is instructive, and it's also intriguing, and it needs careful examination when helping unchanging and hurting souls. And so let me go ahead and give you the the bottom line uh, now, but I want to work this out. The bottom line is, no, this is not appropriate to give this lady at this time, and maybe never at all. We'll have to work through that. And so that's the bottom line response, but the reason that I want to work through it is because I, I have been, I've tried to be honest and transparent about biblical counseling, and, and biblical counseling certification is people who receive information, but they're ill-equipped to do the work of biblical counseling. I had two students that came to our ministry this past week, and they, they, they said that. I've, I've got my certification, but I don't know how to counsel. And that is a recurring problem that we deal with all the time in this ministry. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way, but I'm not going to hide the ball because this question that this counselor, this biblical counselor, just ask me, I would imagine that 99% of you, I hope, would say, hey, this is this is a problem. Probably not a good idea to lay Job down on this lady when she is hurting and angry. Now, if you want to read my full response here, I would love for you to do that. Go over to lifeovercoffee.com. And I've titled this, I'm angry at God because he did not help me. All right, so I want to work through this, and I want to begin this way. When applying Scripture to troubled souls like this angry lady, there has to be the utmost carefulness because it's not always appropriate to map a Bible story over a person's situation as though there are enough similarities to make that practice wise. 
And so I am holding up a big red stop sign, or I'm Gandalf here, and I'm just plummeting my uh, staff into the, the rock ground and saying, you shall not pass. No, don't do that. Don't map the Bible over somebody's situation. No trouble in life, no trouble in the Bible is the same. You can take every troubling situation in the Bible, line them all up side by side by side, and none of them are the same. And you can take every friend that you know in all of their trouble, take their life, and line them all up side by side, and none of them are the same. If they were the same, then all we would need would be formulas. And then we could just discard the need to search the Scriptures Discard the need to search the mind of the Spirit because self-reliance would rule the day as we feed the problem into our biblical counseling AI and follow whatever the output suggests. Counselors who do not know how to counsel follow forms and formulas and current best practices, but mature Christians work hard to educate themselves in the Bible and to lean heavily into the Spirit who guides them into all truth. Now, there is no question that the Lord's response to Job opened up the sufferer's eyes to help our old friend to see what was happening, and Job's response was stellar. Job Job put his hand over his mouth and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Now, I am pretty sure that if you use Job's counsel with this angry woman, that that is probably not what she is going to say. God's stern counsel implied that he did not owe, jo owe Job anything, Job anything, nor does he owe us anything. But is that the proper approach to those who have been compromised by cruelty? Do we want to map this Bible passage over this person because she is not changing? Well, again, the answer is no. Modified, absolutely no. I suggested to my friend that as he continues to teach her about God's love, that he wants to think strategically about how to move her forward, practically speaking. I mean, it could take months for her to benefit in any measurable ways from the transformative love of God while implementing God's counsel to Job could sabotage whatever aspirations that that he has for her. It would be like just throwing a bomb into the counseling office. I just do not see any context where that would be wise. Now, I am not suggesting that my friend was thinking formulaically, though that could be a temptation when confronting an unchanging person. Sometimes you can be you can exhaust all that you know and so you're just looking for best practices and tips and you put it out on Facebook group and say, Hey, what would you say to this person? And then you're taking a poll of ignorant people who have no context, no clarity. They do not know the situation and they start start offering some advice. Those are people that don't know how to counsel and it's highly dangerous.
The truth is she may never get to where he wants her to be. Only the Lord holds this kind of information in his mind. Her future outcome is in his mind, and he will not share those intentions with anyone. God's desire for disciple-makers is for us to faithfully serve struggling souls as they wrestle through the torment of what has happened to them. We must not put time limits on their transformation. That is a problem with traditional counseling is that it can have a limitation even to the point that it can be tempting for the biblical counselor to speed up the process because we're working within an artificial construct. Biblical counseling has a definitive start date. It has a definitive end date. It could be six sessions. It could be 16 sessions. It could be six weeks. It could be six months. It could be a year. But whatever that is, it's an artificial timeline for change to happen. And as you move toward the end of that timeline, there could be that temptation to speed things up. So you Take a poll of ignorant people on Facebook. Hey, how would you counsel this? Or uh, you just grab Job chapter 38 and drop that bomb on her. When the person is not changing, according to the artificial counseling window, the counselor may whip out something harsh that is proportional to his desperation to change her as though that is his job to change her, and it's absolutely not. The truth is, is you may be surprised to know that many Christians are angry at God, though I suspect that most of them would not say it that way. What we tend to do when we're angry at God is we categorize our anger to lesser sounding offenses like disappointment with God. Or maybe you'll hear somebody say, I, I hear this a lot. I'm just frustrated. Euphemistic language can soothe the pinging conscience especially when we're at our pain threshold already. I mean, why compound the problem that we have by using biblical nomenclature when I can have a softer landing born upon culturally pleasing wordsmithing? But angry at God, are you serious? Though it's not wise to openly talk about anger at God, I'm not making that as a recommendation but I'm going to modify that by saying that we need to be honest with at least one other person about our most transparent thoughts about God and the accompanying trials that we have in our lives. And so in a private setting with a counselor, for example, to me, it's a positive sign when the struggling soul feels vulnerable and hopeful enough to admit their struggle with God, even if they're admitting it in PG-13 terms. The fact that they would say the quiet part aloud to me, I mean, that's what you want. I mean, it's messy. <laughs> I mean, problems are messy for sure, but it's a more realistic starting point. Sometimes our Christian propriety interferes with soul care's hard and nasty work. It's helpful. Uh, for competent, courageous, and compassionate friends to know the internal turmoil of a person's soul. And whenever a person is honest with me, though they are struggling and may even be sinning in how they communicate it to me, I do appreciate where they are. Rather than me just assuming that they're somewhere where they are not, 
too often disciple makers assume we're to begin caring for someone's soul without calculating the true nature of the situation. And if you really don't know where that person is, like the lady that I have been describing, and you drop a Job 38 truth bomb on her, it can blow up the entire counseling session, blow up the relationship, and actually prolong the trouble that she's in presently. A Christian laboring under the cruelty of sin, I mean, they probably already know that God's omnipotent. And so when God is asking these omnipotent questions in Job 38, this lady probably already knows that. She probably already knows that God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. The problem is, is that when they factor these things into their thinking, it's reasonable for her to ponder. Where was God when all this crazy stuff went down? I mean, I can understand why, she, I'm, I'm not saying it's okay to be angry with God, but I can understand why she is angry at God. And that's where the counselor needs to be uber careful about how he uniquely walks her through this problem because you just can't map scripture over someone because it worked here. Therefore, it will probably work in this situation too. I remember April the 8th, 1988, my wife of nine years decided to leave with our two children, never to return. I'm still affected by that day more than any other day in my life. A dark cloud rolled over my soul, and though I have trained my brain not to see it, because I can't fixate on it, it would be a captivating thought if I did. I can still see those shadows from that dark night if I did choose to fixate on them. But those troubled days plunged me into the book of Job where I spent considerable time wondering about God's sovereignty and, and my suffering. When Job talk, thought about these things in chapter 3, uh, here's what he said. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden for whom God has hedged in, for my sign comes instead of my bread. I mean, think about that. I mean, I, I, I have more groaning than I have food. He says, my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Do you hear the pain that's going on in Job's life? He said the thing that he had feared had come upon him. I am unsure if that has ever happened to you. It seems like that is what is going on with this lady that my counselor friend is asking me about. What these souls go through cannot be thoroughly explained or understood unless you have been in their place and you have experienced comparable pain. Now, please listen carefully here. I am not suggesting that never experiencing such things disqualifies you from helping someone. Okay, so don't read that into what I I'm saying that's not what I'm talking about. You can help someone. This idea that you have to walk a mile in someone's shoes before you could help them is not biblical. It's not provable biblically. I won't get into that now. 
but that's just not true, and that's not what I am saying. I am saying that it is impossible to understand what is going on in this lady's life and the immense pain and suffering that she's gone through unless you have experienced comparable pain. And what I'm doing is I'm calling attention to the complicatedness of such travesties. And that's why we just can't willy-nilly grab a passage of scripture and map it over this suffering soul because we assume that we know what is going on in this suffering soul. I mean, even the hurting soul does not fully understand the complexity of what is happening to them. How could you know what is going on with them when they do not have God's full mind on what is going on in their life? That's what I'm drawing attention to. Yes, you can help them, no question. But make sure you understand there is a complexity here that it requires rigorous soul care. For sturdy souls who are searching God's mind through Scripture and searching the mind of the Spirit, there is an element of faith that God calls us to walk. And with things like what happened to this lady, for example, it can disrupt their faith in proportion to the size of their trouble. Their problems before them are mountains, and so their ability to trust God will be proportionally challenging. God's counsel to Job was perfect for Job because God is perfect. He knew what Job needed during that counseling season. Now, that counseling season lasted for 42 chapters, but we can read it in one sitting. But please remember, we're unaware of the counseling time. In reality, from the beginning of Job's ordeal in chapter 1 to the end of it in chapter 42, you can read it in one sitting, but it was a protracted time of counseling with many voices speaking into it. And the part of the Lord's counsel where he rebuked Job was in chapter 38. And that was appropriate at that juncture for God to say those things to him at that time, but not for this lady, probably not for this lady who is struggling. What you will have is a mismatch. You will, you will lay this scripture on a soul, and it just won't line up. It lined up for Job, but it won't line up for her. And that's where we need more wisdom and more carefulness. I remember when someone gave me Romans 8.28 as part of their counsel. Now, Romans 8.28 is a precise and biblical nugget that is beneficial for all of us. If you're not familiar with Romans 8.28, in the New Testament, Paul said, We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and called according to His purposes. That's beautiful advice for the afflicted soul. But the problem is that advice, I was not in a place to receive it. Good advice, wrong time. It was a mismatch. My, by the way, my response to my friend, his name's Randy, adorable, uh, uh, an amazing guy. Love him then, love him now. Amazing guy. But my response to Randy when he gave me his 828 bullet I said something like this, Randy. I said, Randy, has it ever occurred to you that I might not want all things to work together for good? 
I'm not interested in what the Lord is attempting to do in my life. What I want is my family back. Do you hear where my heart was? I mean, Randy gave me good counsel, but it was the wrong time. And that's what I think would happen with this lady if you drop Job 38 truth bombs on her. She's very angry with God. Her heart is not in the right place. It reminds me of some of our students that come into our biblical counseling training program, our mastermind students. Many of our students over the past several years, more than a decade now, some of them, they come into our counselor training program while working through the aftermath of a horrendous situation. Do you hear the mismatch there? They're not ready to be trained as biblical counselors. They fit better within the counselee mold rather than the counselor mold. It is a mismatch. I mean, perhaps in their future, as they work through whatever has happened to them, our counselor training program would be the perfect solution for what they need. Let me give you another illustration. Introducing a little leaguer. A little leaguer in the States is a little baseball player. And you introduce this little leaguer to the major leagues, the, the, the pro teams. Well, that would be improper parenting. And so when you are sharing the more complex parts of God's word with souls who are not ready to hear it, it's a mismatch. It's wrongheaded. You're asking a little leaguer to play the major leagues. You're asking a counselee to go through a counseling, a counselor program. It, it doesn't work that way. And we need uh, to have a clearer understanding with where people are and customize our soul care to them. A few weeks ago, I was talking with my sick friend, and she was telling me about how some people are so blessed by her suffering. And, and those are their words, not hers. She's just quoting them. That they're so blessed by the suffering that she's going through. Now, she understands what they are trying to say. And, and she knows how, also knows how difficult it is to speak into her unchangeable situation. I won't get into her physical problems, but they are immense and they have been going on for decades. She humorously and truthfully said to me, quote, I don't want to be the poster girl for sickness so others can be grateful for their health or be encouraged by my illness. I'd rather they find another way to be grateful and another way to be encouraged. Now, she realizes that her attitude is wrong. Her attitude is wrong. But she's also being honest with me about what is happening in her life and where her current mental state is. And so my goal with her is not primarily to change my friend. I'm not trying to change her. I'm trying to be a friend to my friend. I want to be a caring listener as I walk with her and her husband through her unchangeable situation. I mean, maybe someday in the future, perhaps I can carry heavier truth to them as I build that relational bridge. Maybe I can call attention to my sick friend's bad attitude at some future point. There's no formula for this. We're talking about spirit-led, Bible-guided souls. And I trust the Lord will open that door someday in the future to adjust her heart.
and she will receive my corrections gracefully. But I can't change her, and I can't change her situation, so I don't try. I'm God's water boy. I'm watering. I'm planting while trusting God to bring the needed growth. My goal is to help a struggling soul by creating an environment where everyone can be honest with each other, even in PG-13 terms. Even if she does not respond with proper biblical expectations, there is much encouragement to find with our reciprocal transparency where we know where each other stands and we have mutual respect because the care that is being given is legit. The warning here is that the book of Job is not a one-size-fits-all template for doing things or how things will always conclude for trapped people. I don't know how my friend is going to end up. I don't. But I don't believe it is appropriate to plop Job 38 down on her because it worked for Job. Job's book was a unique historical moment between a man and his creator. Not all counseling situations will play out this way, though it would be nice if they did. But then we would be formulaic. We would just run it through our biblical counseling AI, and we would be self-reliant, not even really needing the Bible or the Spirit of God. Some hurting believers are not in a place that recognizes how they are doing better than they deserve. I mean, is this the time to let them know they deserve eternal damnation and anything above hell is a perk? Probably not. When sovereign God rebuked Job, his heart had already begun to soften. His humility set the stage for how he responded to the strong counsel that God gave him. Humility is one of those invaluable keys you're searching for in the struggler because without it, that sad soul will not be teachable. And by the way, teachability is the second key that follows humility's heels. In Job 38, 1 and 2, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Whew. Ensure that you properly assess the person you are discipling to see if you are speaking to a humble or a proud heart. Your assessment will be subjective. I understand this, but you must explore this because you cannot unreasonably assume that you know where they are in their journey. If they are angry at God, as this lady is, they will resist what you tell them. And they may even retaliate if you begin dropping Job one-liners on them. If you sense a reluctant posture toward God for whatever reason, then tread carefully. James talks about God opposing the proud. God is a warring army against this type of person, against this angry lady. I mean, simply stated, if they are not in chapter 38 where the Lord counseled Job... It's not the time for you to advise them in the way that God guided Job. Discipleship is conditional on the heart of the person that you're discipling. The Lord knew Job was ready to gird up his loins and to receive some stern and direct counsel. And guess what? 
it worked. And Job experienced transformation. Also remember that God grants repentance too, and so you're not going to manipulate it out of someone. And if you're in an artificial counseling season, which again is what biblical counseling is, is one of many reasons I'm just not a great big fan of it and the way it's done. But if you're in that counseling window, you can forget that God grants repentance and you can be tempted to speed up the process, even dropping Job one-liners on someone who is not ready to hear it. And so knowing these things should relax your soul and slow your tongue because this situation is ultimately in God's hands, the grantor of repentance. People are different. People need care according to who they are and where they are, not who we think they should be or where we wish they were, even according to other people we know or historical figures like Job people that we find in the Bible. Now, I know you know this, and I'm preaching to the choir, but it's a good reminder, and it doesn't hurt to be reminded from time to time. An unchanging friend needs our love through care and discernment. Sometimes our friends need our admonition. Most of all, they need our friendship. And so to my counseling friend who's counseling the angry lady, I do not know how the 42 chapters of trouble will play out for anyone, including her. They may never come to the place of seeing what Job saw or responding the way that Job did. They may always be angry with the Lord as she is currently. I have family members who went to their graves as bitter souls. We must not have an ideological worldview that aligns with utopian values. Our world is fallen, and all the creatures therein, you and me, we're messy. Everything will not end well for everyone, including those that we love the most. Maybe in 15 years or so, they will make some improvements. Perhaps there is a face plant and a hog lot in their future, as in Luke 15. These possibilities are God's secrets. There's an element of mystery here, and He will not reveal these things to us because it would ruin our faith knowing the outcomes. We must become comfortable with a little bit of mystery while guarding our hearts against fixating on how we believe things should be. And then above all of this, it did say that Job restored, or God uh, restored the fortunes of Job when Job prayed for his friends and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had. The counsel did work in Job 38. But patience is always our primary need when we serve our stuck friends. So care is some of the most laborious and tedious work, especially when the individuals we love don't seem to want to change, or when they are stuck, and though they would like to change, they can't. I mean, sometimes you have people who want to, but they just can't. Paul talked about the caught person in Galatians 6.1. Perhaps he would like to extricate himself from his trouble, but his sin has captured him, or what we call an addiction today. There was a time when he could manage his vice, but now his vice manages him. 
One thing that makes our work as disciple makers difficult is not being the ones who control the change process. We are the Lord's water boys and water girls, faithfully watering and sowing while asking the Father to provide the growth that people need. Now, in this way, it's similar to parenting. It's similar to any other relationship, honestly. We keep on plowing. We keep on watering. We keep on sowing, and we keep on being patient. And so be encouraged. Live with the future expectation of the Lord restoring those you love. It may come while you're working with them. It may not. Most of the change that I've seen in my counseling life, it came after the counseling ended. The counseling season is an artificial window for change to happen. And that's not how change happens. Transformation is not a formula. Transformation is a gift that God gives when he wishes. If they have any theological moorings, or more specifically, if this lady, this angry lady, has any theological moorings, they probably know the Lord is good. They probably know he is working a good plan for their lives. I had limited awareness of this truth when my pain was most prominent, but I could do nothing to change my thinking or the hurt. I had to experience it through painful perseverance. God had to take me on a dangerous journey. And no amount of counseling would change that. When my friend Randy dropped his 828 bullet on me, He might as well picked up the spent casing and put it in his gospel sack and gone on home. No matter how often I cried, my pain and circumstance never changed. And finally, out of sheer desperate torment, I blurted out my anger to God. I don't recommend this because it's unbecoming of us Christians, but it did happen to me. I was so mad. If you or any other person had shown up during that time, there would have been nothing you could do for me other than be my praying, caring, persevering friend. If you drop those Job one-liners on me, oh my. I am unsure how that would have gone, but I do think I have an idea. I could not change. I was stuck. That was a long time ago. And in time, the good Lord did that silent work in my soul and softened my hard heart. He made me ready to receive the good word. The residual effect of that suffering lingers today, but it lingers in a different way. The good Lord turned my captivity from bitter hopelessness to a ministry that helps people. And so I'm glad that you are there for your unchanging, angry lady friend. In some small way, I'm pleased that I could serve her through you by writing this response to your question. And that, my friend, is what makes all the suffering worth it. I've titled this, I'm Angry at God Because He Did Not Help Me. I'm working through this idea, should I drop a Job one-liner on her? I say no. Uh, But I tease that out, and I trust that has been beneficial. I would encourage you to come over to lifeovercoffee.com. We have a thousand more resources just like this. I also want to let you know about our No More Fear course. It is a self-contained all-online course about overcoming being controlled by the opinions of other people. And so if you want to do a deep dive 
devotion, just work through this one single issue. It's not our mastermind program that does teach you how to do biblical counseling. It's a topical course on how to not be managed by the opinions of other people. If you think that would be a good fit for you, just you could pick it up online uh, at lifeovercoffee.com. Please let others know about it too, because I know that you know people who are managed by other people's opinions. Maybe this would be a good time for them to take that course. God bless. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.